Welcome to the EPP Group podcast on fighting breast cancer in Europe. My name is Jack Parrick and I'm delighted to be hosting this conversation with October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Female breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer. Over 355,000 women in the EU's 27 countries were estimated to be diagnosed with breast cancer in 2020. It amounts to 13.3% of all cancer diagnoses. For this podcast, you're going to hear from three women who are each playing different but important roles in the fight against breast cancer. Dr. Isabel Rubio is the head of breast surgical oncology at Clinica Universidad de Navarra in Madrid, Spain. And she has a real insight on what's going on in hospitals right now. Barbara Wilson is a highly experienced senior HR professional and herself a breast cancer survivor. She set up an organisation in the UK called Working With Cancer, which is all about helping employees and employers deal with the issues that cancer raises in the workplace, providing all sides with education and support. And Deirdre Clune is a prominent Irish member of the European Parliament who sits with the EPP group. She's a leading figure in the Parliament's Special Committee on Beating Cancer, which is BECA for short. In this podcast, we're talking about screening and early detection, the effect COVID-19 has had on fighting cancer, and what the EU's role is in all of it. I hope you enjoy the podcast. As promised, we have with us uh, Barbara Wilson, who works with uh, patients of cancer throughout uh, throughout the United Kingdom. We also have Deirdre Clune, an MEP, and we have Dr. Isabel Rubio, who is a clinician and a surgeon working with breast cancer patients. We're going to start firstly with you, Deirdre. You sit on the Becker Committee, the the Uh committee that works with uh, that is trying to deal, come up with the EU can beat cancer plan. Deirdre, tell us quickly exactly how the the progress is going right now regarding uh, beating can- the beating cancer plan and specifically on breast cancer. Okay, yeah, well, Jack, we've, um, the committee has been meeting well for almost a year now, um, and we have prepared a draft report, the rapporteurs prepared a draft report, and we are just looking at it probably amending it, giving comments from the individual groups and individual MEPs, and we're expecting to have it finalised. I mean, I think there's a, st- a strong sense that it will be finalised by December. Um, so so that's good. I think you can see that there's a, a strong emphasis across the plan or across the report that we would have, uh, uh, we would eliminate any discrepancies or any divisions in terms of, in, in terms of care, make sure that we have an equal, equal access to care uh, whether it be for, um, particularly in breast cancer, yeah, for surgery, for diagnosis, for, for screening. I think that's, that's really, really important. We've emphasized a strong emphasis on prevention. Uh, but we want to make sure that, you know, wherever you live in the in the European Union, that you won't be discriminated against because of your address or because of your location, that there would be um, an, an, a European approach to cancer care and uh, including breast care, obviously, because it's one of the one number one um, uh, it is it, one of one of the cancers in, in women in particularly, and so we, you know, it's something that can be preventable. It's a very good news story now. I mean, for uh, as, as I'm sure we will hear, uh, we'll discuss further. But it's a positive news story, and um, we need to make sure that we can improve it even more and encourage the uptake of, of screening. That's very important. Barbara, 
one of the issues uh, that we talk about is the support specifically of women regarding breast cancer. There is this pressure on and this discussion, at least on being on it being a preventable, a treatable and a beatable disease. What do each of those words sort of mean to you and what do they mean to the women specifically and, and other cancer patients that you're working with? Perhaps you can introduce your organisation a little bit further as well. Okay, let me start by doing that. So I, I myself am a breast cancer survivor. I was diagnosed in 2005. Uh, so I've been uh, cured or in remission, whatever you want to call it, for uh, a little while now. Um, um, we support or help people uh, with any form of cancer, obviously including breast cancer, uh, at any stage of their cancer, to remain in work, return to work or find work. Uh, and... Uh, the reason that, that, that our work is growing all the time is, but thank goodness, the treatments for cancer, particularly breast cancer these days, are terrific. Uh, the work of Isabel and her, her colleagues, you know, is amazing. Uh, many of us survive um, and, and thrive af after cancer, uh, which is not the same of all cancers, as you know. Um, and around, interestingly, although one in eight people are diagnosed, women are diagnosed with uh, breast cancer during their lifetime, um, around half of those with a cancer diagnosis are actually of working age. And all the stats show that relatively few of those women are actually able to return to work uh, after a sort of a year post treatment, something about just two thirds. Um, uh, for, for all of us who survive, obviously prevention in the first place would have been great, and it's important to, to focus on that, but life isn't simple and straightforward, and sometimes, you know, luck isn't with us, and uh, so we, 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 it's important that treatments, uh, which are increasingly individualised, which is, which is, again, terrific, are made available equally to all of us, uh, not only in the UK, and we won't mention Brexit, um, but, but uh, in Europe. Um, and, uh, and it's also important though that post-treatment or during treatment, we can lead a successful and rewarding life. Uh, otherwise, why are we being treated? So life is important uh, to all of us who are treated and, the better treatments become, uh, the, the, the more important it is that there's support in place to enable us to, to move forward uh, and to uh, enjoy a successful life. Mm. So bringing you in, uh, mm. Dr. Isabel Rubio, thank you so much for joining us in, out of your busy schedule. What's the EU doing to improve treatments? How important is it to work on a European Union level for clinicians, practitioners like yourself? Yes, well, thank you for being here. And I think uh, this is a great idea to have uh, this uh, session about breast cancer and the awareness. And going, asking, uh, answering your question, I think that um, the Europe Beating Cancer Plan is a great opportunity to improve cancer patients' treatments, diagnosis, screening, follow-ups, and everything. Because at the end, if we are try if we live in a homogeneous world or we try to standardize treatments and screening programs, I think that coming from the European level, the member states um, should have a 
some point implement all these measures. And I think that we are working very hard and I think that the MEPs and the commissioner and everyone is taking the opportunity to have all the voices heard. So not only health professionals, patient advocates, stakeholders, and everybody who is related to cancer societies, European Cancer Society, and everybody. So I think that we need to make sure that whatever comes up from the European Union regarding all the programs need to be implemented in the countries. And I think that mm -hmm. we are going to try to make that a reality. Absolutely. You mentioned screening there, and I know, Deirdre, we, I've heard and seen you speak extensively in favour of screening and the need for it, and we all understand that early detection means better treatment, without doubt. Whose responsibility is screening? Is it the patient to make sure they're looking after themselves? Is it uh, national governments? Where does the EU come in on that? Whose responsibility is it? Well, I suppose at, the, at, the, at, the, at this point in time, it's the responsibility of the member states to offer the screening program uh, to the patients. Um, they'll be contacted once they're in, in where I'm coming from, from in Ireland. It's once you're 50 years of age uh, and you'll be contacted then every two years. But um, at one point, there wasn't a, a, an uptake from, not a, not a, we didn't have a high uptake. We didn't have 30, 100% uptake, uh, which we would like. But it's, obviously, it's, it's a matter for the patients themselves, whether they take that offer up or not. But I would say there's a real responsibility there on the member states and the organisation that's responsible for the screening to educate, to make aware that um, screening actually, it does, it saves lives. But most importantly, it, it, it actually it, it reduces um, the type of uh, the type of treatment that you will have. And the doc Dr. Ruby will ex can explain that better than I can. But, you know, the earlier you get it. Uh, the less invasive the treatment and the better the outcomes. So there's an education there from the state's point of view. There is a, um, a, a job of work to do to make sure that everybody who's offered screening um, does come forward. And uh, we've seen in the last year that there's been a, a fall off in, 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 in screening because of the pandemic. But and, and I would say certainly in my own country, we're a year behind in terms of screening and there's going to be a fallout from that as well. But it's you know, from that's national member states to offer the program. But what we want to get to in the committee is that it's standard across Europe that there would be a screening uh, program in every member state and that it would um, have certain quality assurance uh, for those for those participants. And in fact, the commission would say that by 2015, they want to, to reduce or to reduce or to connect with 90 percent of those that are entitled to the screening, that they would connect to them and they would be offered. Um, uh, and and up and take up the opportunity to uh, to have a mammogram in in case of, of breast breast cancer or breast care. Barbara, uh, we're talking about screening, and obviously it's something that's scary for people to do uh, mm -hmm. in a way to sort of confront that they may be facing breast cancer. Where does that balance lie between the fear of a cancer like breast cancer, which is obviously extremely scary if you are somebody that is given a diagnosis of it, and educating people in, that it is a prevent it is a disease that is treatable and is survivable? How do you do that with the people that you're working with? Well, I, I do think um, you know education, as, as Deirdre has mentioned, is so important, and, and obviously there's a cultural element as well. Yes. Um, you know, there are there are some 
cultures where doing these things is 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 not uh, you know having cancer is a terrible stigma uh, and 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 therefore kind of submitting yourself to a mammogram is something that you you wouldn't do for fear of for fear of a diagnosis but i mm. think the more that we can make screening something that's just part of part of the natural order of things uh, provide you know more equality of, uh, of opportunity of attending screenings and, and equal. I mean, I was just looking at the stats at the moment. In the UK, we are only offer screening every three years between the ages of fifty and seventy-one, whereas Germany and in Italy, it's uh, you're between the ages of fifty to seventy-four and every two years. I mean, you know, I, I think there needs, to, frankly, I to offer it every year and, and potentially from the age of 45 but we won't go into all of that now but I think the more you can let people know that the, you know the treatment is so much easier if you can get cancer earlier you know I, I, I had my own I actually set up my own mammogram because a lot of cancer in my family and thank god I my cancer was found early although it had got into a lymph node, so I had to have chemotherapy. But actually, because it was caught early, you know, I still have my my right breast. You know, I had a few lumps taken out of it, but at least I've I've kept the breast. And I think the more you can tell women and men, because men get breast cancer too, that the sooner you can get mm. treated and the sooner it can be detected, then you know, you can your life can be saved and you can have a, a very happy and successful and rewarding life, the better. So lots of messaging needs to go out there. Dr. Rubio, what from a clinical point of view does it allow you to do if if breast cancer is detected early? Yes. Well, before that, I, I would add that I think it's so important the information because people need. To, so when you ask the question, who is responsible? I think that we, the doctors, are responsible to tell the patient the information about what is the benefit and the risk of a screening, because then they have the responsibility of doing it or not. So I think that at, at that point, we are all responsible for this, because, you know, some, some patient or some woman would say, well, you know, I was diagnosed with a breast cancer, but they didn't see it on a mammogram. And this is something very popular that keeps going and going and people say, well, I'm not getting mammograms because, you know, you maybe have a cancer and you don't find it. But the truth is that even though the mammogram has a very low false negative results and more and more with the technology, even, even lower, the truth is that the only method of screening that is reliable right now for breast cancer is the mammogram. And the mammogram can detect tumors when they are about five millimeters in size and when the tumors are like that usually the treatments are low are less treatments you don't need sometimes you don't need systemic therapy sometimes you don't need chemotherapy sometimes you don't need a lot of treatments and also when the tumors are detected early um, of course survival is higher so mm. prognostic is better and you don't have to go through many other treatment. As Barbara said, sometimes surgical issues like preserving the breast um, is, is more favorable in those small tumors. So, so it's a win-win situation, of course. Yeah. Staying with you, Dr. Rubio, um, the issue of sort of personalized medicines and also the issue around the mRNA vaccines, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that and how people are feeling about those issues regarding breast cancer. 
Yes, well, I think that the personalized medicine has been all over the world for some years now. And, and in breast cancer, at least, means that probably 20 years ago, 15 years ago, all breast cancer were treated equally. Doesn't matter what type of cancer you have, chemotherapy was almost the same for everybody. Surgery was mainly the same. And I think that nowadays, even radiation therapy, nowadays, we are matching the characteristic of the patient and the characteristics of the tumor and try to find out what is the best treatment for both. So that's what we call individualized medicine because we have seen that um, if we overtreat patients, at the end, their quality of life will be much worse. And, and many, you know, in, in, in breast cancer, if it's detected early, survival can get up to 95%. So you have to live with all these secondary effects from the treatment that you probably don't need. So this is what we are now. We now look at the tumor, see what type of tumor, look at the patient, see what type of patient, put all together and decide what is the best treatment for them. Deirdre, what, what has COVID done to, cancer, uh, to breast cancer and the progress? I know you sort of mentioned it and touched on it earlier. There's been delays. Uh, and what can the EU do to support regarding COVID and the delays that, that, that have come from it? Well, yeah, there has been delays many in many cases. I mean, most countries, the pro screening program was suspended uh, and there, for, for cancer screening. And then there was patients who didn't get the, the treatment. Those that had been diagnosed didn't get treatment. And there was a, probably some had to wait until they had a vaccine. So the, and that was very, very, very difficult for people. Uh, the as Barbara has outlined, you know, the fear of can and the the knowing that you have a diagnosis then is a different situation and you can't get access to treatment. So um, I'm afraid that there'll be, and I know from what I've heard, there will be a fallout from this for many years to come. Um, so what we can do but now is just progress as best we can with, with the services that are there to make sure that those who get the treatment that they're, they should be having, that they have it. Uh, and uh, Cancer screening programs are back on track. Well, there's still, there is a delay. I understand it's about a year in most countries or more. Um, so we need to, and we need to build the confidence again, you know, get people you know, really confident that this is a good thing, that this is important. It's a good thing you can save my lives and maybe even their, their, their family around them to support them in that as well. That, you know, it's important for us as well that those that you, you can get the screening that you, you're entitled to and you should get it because it is it will save save your life. Dr. Rubio, asking you about that, what's it been like in the hospitals for you mm. in the work that you're you're doing and what support uh, could help you uh, deal with the backlogs from COVID? Well, I think with that uh, we still have to learn something from the COVID that we haven't learned yet. <laughs> so the truth is that all these screening programs that were stopped, um, that along the last year has been um, opening again, but still in some places, you know, you just we, we've been having half a year opening the screening, close the screening, so it's been kind of a of a nightmare really for everybody. So I think yeah. that we need to learn that we have a pandemic that makes that cancer patients were not treated as much as other patients. So we need to find a way to preserve well in cancer centers, well in areas of the hospital that are close to other, to preserve 
the pathway of the management of breast cancer patients or cancer patients in general, because this is the only way that we can keep the screening, keep the treatments and keep, keep all what they need not to delay treatment because at the end, delaying diagnosis, delaying treatments only make a worse prognosis. So I think that we need to learn that we need to have cancer centers, that we need to have COVID-free or pandemic-free because you are always hearing that we are, maybe we will have more than, uh, than one pandemic. We need to have cancer free of pandemic hospitals to treat cancer patients. And I think we need to do that. And we need to, to put, put resources on trying to get all these people who has missed the screening uh, back to, to, the, to the screening programs. Uh, not only the ones that need to have it done now, but also the ones that has missed all last year from the screening. Yeah. Barbara, how has this changed uh, for people that are, we've heard from the medical side, but you also deal with people sort of in how they're living their lives. What has it changed for your work with people that are either going through the process of cancer treatment or just starting it or coming out at the end? Well, I mean, COVID has, has had an enormously disruptive effect. And, and frankly, in most cases, not, not, in, not in a good way. Uh, I mean, for for some time, people even did, didn't want to, want to go and see their doctor or go into no. hospital because they were frightened about, you know, going into a space where it was clear that COVID was not being, as it were, you know, contained. Um, so the disruption, the isolation, uh, you know, having if you are having an appointment, uh, going on your own was 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 you know very difficult, and as and as Isabel and Deirdre have have said, you know the impact on screening and other treatments was was deeply disruptive and and will lead to many people dying unnecessarily because their treatment has been interrupted. When it comes to kind of returning to work or working, which is the area we, my organization particularly deals with, it's, it's had both adv some advantages. People have liked being able to work from home and not have to commute uh, if they, particularly if their immune system has been suppressed. So that's been helpful. But equally, um, employers aren't used to as it were, closely managing or, or kind of supporting people who are, as it were, based at home and too often haven't really understood that the, the trials and the, the side effects and the issues uh, that, that cancer survivors are dealing with at, when, when at home. So the, the classic one is with Zoom. Um, you know, people tend to make sure they look okay when they're having a Zoom meeting. And with cancer survivors, you know, if, if they've lost their hair from chemo, they'll put on a nice wig, they'll put on their makeup, they'll look good. And too often, you know, people will think, well, actually, no, they seem okay. And will actually not provide the support that's needed. So I, I think, um, you know, COVID has had enormous uh, implications, both for people's health and the interruption of health but also for kind of managing their return to work has not in many cases been made easier and now in particular as people are beginning to go back those who are still immune suppressed uh, and I'm thinking not only people with breast cancer and who've had chemotherapy for example or immunotherapy 
um, but also those with other cancers for whom the vaccine, you know, for whom vaccines are not protecting them because they are immune suppressed. Those people are now their lives are continue, you know, still disrupted. They're beginning to kind of feel that they're isolated and at home. So that's that's tough too. It's really really difficult. Yeah. Um, Deirdre, can you explain a little bit further about the the EU can beat cancer plan? We've heard these issues of of screening, COVID, etc. What on breast cancer is the committee doing? And when do we expect sort of motions? What, what are you hoping for this to create within the European Union? Well, the committee is preparing its own response to the Commission's proposal on beating cancer. And that Keep Cancer Plan looks at everything from uh, prevention and prevention being lifestyle, healthy choices and eating, exercise, that, which, is all, which all feeds into um, you know, a, a more positive cancer story right through to, um, you know, living with cancer, as Barbara's outlined, living and working with cancer, what that can mean, supporting patients uh, in that area, because it is difficult, recognising that it is difficult, they need support in that, and also through to palliative care, which is a, a very much a, a fact in terms of, of cancer care. So looking at every aspect of and want to make sure that we have a, a uniform approach, that we have a... a Uniform, across across Europe, that every member state has the same supports for the women and, and indeed men who will have can, can, uh, breast cancer as well, uh, and want um, in terms of screening, standard screening, quality quality assurance. There, uh, guidelines have been issued by the Commission. They're due to be updated again in 2022, uh, and that those guidelines would be reflected in every member state's provision of services uh, to their to their to their citizens and to their, their female citizens in particular, I suppose, because this is a, a breast cancer affects more women than men, as we know. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we've seen with COVID how the EU can play a stronger role in terms of provision of health services. We didn't have that before, but even even in the purchasing of equipment, even like we've seen vaccines, even provision of um of services where they can, because member states, healthcare is a matter for member states primarily, and that's in the treaties. But we've seen that there's a lot can be done, um, in addition in terms of adding value from, from a European point of view. And uh, that's where we want to get to and make sure that there's a standard that's in place across every member state, that there is no discrimination based on where you live, and that every uh, European um, potentially could have breast cancer or, or anybody has access to the same service, the same level of service, whether it's for screening or whether it's for treatment and whether it's for an end of life care. And that's a, a reality as well. Thank, thank you. So Deirdre just touched, touched there on male breast cancer. I suppose we can come to you, Dr. Rubio, about this. Where do men fit in on this? It is a reality that men can get breast cancer. What are the perhaps stigmas around it and what can you do from a clinical point of view? Yes, um, for sure men can get breast cancer and um, usually the numbers are like uh, 100, for 100 women with mm. breast cancer, one man has breast cancer. The problem with men is that um, most of them do not have information about this. So, so they feel a lump in the breast and they never realize it could be cancer. So I think that the first thing that we need to do is education and information. As far as they understand that, you know, they feel a lump and they will come to see us just because, you know, it could be cancer. 
Also, it's important that nowadays there are many associations of male breast cancers, and it's important that they, in, in many cases, you know, this when a cancer appears in a man, it can be of uh, hereditary breast cancer syndrome. So at that point, it's usually important to check um, them and to check the family. So my, my message to the men would be, you feel a lump, go to the doctor. It probably be benign, but you need to check it out. Deirdre, please. No, I was just agreeing entirely. You know, it's um, you don't really do need to um, you know get the message out there that you can do an awful lot about this yourself, and that you know to be to be you know the, the message is screening if it's offered to you and if it's available, absolutely take it up. But also, you know, in 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 Ireland, the screening is every two years for fifty to sixty nine year olds every two years. So, but that doesn't mean that you won't get a divide cancer in those two years. Two years is a long time. But you should be aware of your body and look for lumps and aware of any changes. I mean, there's there's a lot of information there. So I would hope again the next month when we have um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is in October, that, you know, issues like this awareness, what are the symptoms, how you can help yourself. And as, as Dr. Ruby said, you take responsibility for your own health care as well, because there's only so much the state or the EU institutions there's so much that your medical profession and all the support agencies uh, we need to you know yeah. have the confidence uh, to take on board ourselves uh, our responsibility for our own health care as well yeah I just wanted to add as well I think not only awareness of the symptoms of primary breast cancer but mm. the symptoms of advanced or metastatic cancer because there are still very effective treatments for that but very often women aren't told what those symptoms are at the appropriate point so that's an important okay. <laughs> Dr Isabel Rubio a cancer specialist in Spain Barbara Wilson from working with cancer and Deirdre Clune an MEP with the EPP group thank you so much for joining us on this EPP podcast thank you very thank much. you thanks everybody I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I did hosting it. If you want more information on the EU Can Beat Cancer plan, head to the website on eucanbeatcancer.eu. And remember to subscribe to these EPB podcasts on whichever platform you listen on for more episodes just like this. Thanks so much for listening.